Yeah, so God, we pray, open the eyes of our heart. Open the ears of our hearts, Lord. We want to see you. We want to hear you. Reveal to us the coming of your kingdom. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Good morning, friends. Friends new and old, some back after some time away. Friends, I'm Justin, and I'm excited to get to share in the Word with you. They gave me a stool this morning. We might be here a while, so hang, hang with us. I want to welcome you to our first Sunday in this new series, The Parables of Jesus. Right, the parables for us can be uh, familiar stories, especially if we've been hanging out in church culture for a little while. There are a lot that might be familiar to us. There are some that are really obscure that you've maybe never even heard before, um, and we might dig into a few of those in these series. But then there are these parables that even kind of permeate the culture beyond the church, that the parables of Jesus have trickled their way out into the broader kind of psyche of our, our culture. And so when I say the word parables, I'm curious for you, what's, what quickly comes to mind? What is familiar to you when, when you hear the word parables? You can even just say it out loud. Parallel. Parallel? What else? Beatitudes. Beatitudes. Any other parables come to mind for you? Prodigal son, yeah. The lost coin, good Samaritan, yeah, absolutely. A shrewd manager, and now we're getting deeper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the parables of Jesus, right, they can quickly become, like, to our, they can come to our mind so quickly, right? And often it's because those that have kind of reached out broader into the culture, it's because there is maybe this understanding that it's a, a moral teaching or a moral lesson that, that has something to say to all of us or a universal teaching, something that we can all kind of get on board with. But what if, what if the parables are more than that? What if the parables are more than just a moral lesson or some universal teaching for us to all comprehend so maybe we should take this step back and say, first, what even is a parable? Right? When we try to define something, sometimes we first go to our resources at hand, perhaps a dictionary, or in our case today, Google. Um, just Googling what is a parable. You'll get a couple um, dictionary definitions that pop up. The first is um, Merriam-Webster's uh, dictionary saying, it is a usually short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. Kind of reinforces that idea, right? That this might be some more moral lesson. The Oxford Dictionary says it's a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And then it goes on to add this um, caveat told by Jesus in the Gospels. Like, it's just totally taken all of the parables and, and put it in that context of being told by Jesus. Though there are many people throughout the ages that have used parables as a style of teaching. 
So we can easily take these dictionary definitions, right, and, and kind of superimpose them on our own idea of what the parables are, this modern definition speaking to us. And, and we might miss the intentions of what Jesus is doing by speaking in parables by doing that. that and, and we might miss that big picture if we, if we stay with that definition over the next few weeks of this series. See, the parables of Jesus are fictitious stories, and they usually are pretty short. But they're stories that Jesus uses to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. They aren't just clarifying explanations. In fact, most of the time, most people hearing them are actually more confused or confounded by them at the hearing of those parables. So they're not really clarifying for most people, but for those who are ready to receive, for those who are ready to hear, they open up a new and a radical way of seeing. If we believe that Jesus is more than just a moral teacher, more than just a rabbi to his disciples back then, then we can imagine that there must be something more to what is going on here in the parables. In Orthodox Christianity, right, we see Jesus, fully God, who enters into time and space, becoming fully human. That is the second person of the Trinity, the Son in full relationship, fully present to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And then he shows up, the rightful King to show the world what the kingdom of God is like. And here's where the parables come in. That they are stories or illustrations of what Jesus is doing as he is ushering in this kingdom, starting the kingdom unfolding on earth as it is in heaven. And so we started back in Advent, right, in this series, The Coming of the King, preparing our hearts to know that the king who was foretold was coming into the world. And so through, through Advent, we prepared for his coming. And then last week, Joel did such an amazing job. Pastor Joel led us in Epiphany, in the revelation of who Jesus is. King Jesus, that he has come. And so now, we are in this place of the parables explaining for us over the coming weeks what the kingdom is like. That Jesus is announcing his kingdom and it is coming. The thing is, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is not like the kingdoms of this world. It's different. It is not just a little bit different it is actually more like it is upside down. You know, one of my favorite lines from the TV series on Jesus, The Chosen, um, which, quick plug, if um, you don't already have your tickets or you don't know yet, we're going to start season one of The Chosen right here on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. And so the first season is eight weeks, so we'll be here eight Tuesdays in a row at 7 o'clock, and you were invited 
If you don't yet have your tickets, I want to encourage you to grab those. You can do it from the Sunday page at Love Chapel Hill um, or the Chosen in ChapelHill.com. Uh, but the Chosen is um, just a beautiful expression of who Jesus is. It is this TV series that has um, just helped us to, to visualize actually what it might have been like to be with his disciples walking around and and what it might have been like for him to be announcing this kingdom coming. Commercial over, um, but I would love for you to come. If you, if, and if there's somebody you want to invite, um, please reach out and invite them. If it's not like, if you have a friend who's like not doing the church thing and not really interested in the church thing, that is exactly what this is for, a space to introduce them to Jesus and purely Jesus. We're not going to make a pitch to like come on a Sunday morning. Certainly there's an invitation, but this is about just people encountering Jesus. One of my favorite lines from The Chosen, um, and it's actually in season one, so you'll get to see that very soon in, in season one. But uh, Jesus stops in his tracks to call Matthew, the tax collector, as a disciple, right? And so he calls Matthew by name, and Peter runs up to him, and he's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Like, I don't get this at all. And Jesus just very kindly says to Peter, you didn't get it when I called you either. He said, yeah, yeah. Peter says, yeah, but this is different. He's a tax collector. <laughs> and so Jesus, in all of just the beauty of meeting Peter in that moment, says, get used to different. Get used to different, because that is what the kingdom of God is like, y'all. It's different. Our friend, many of us around here have a friend who's a New Testament scholar. His name is Tom Wright. Um, and if, if you know Bob Stocking, Bob Stocking is especially a friend of um, Tom Wright. Tom Wright doesn't know any of us, but he is a friend to us and often speaks into our Bible studies and, and into the word for us. He says, Jesus didn't tell parables to provide friendly little illustrations of abstract theology. He told parables because what he was doing was so different, so explosive, and so dangerous that the only way he could talk about it was to use stories. So Jesus, this brilliant teacher that he was and is, uses modern, relevant imagery to describe what the kingdom is like. In his stories, he used common, everyday imagery that nearly everyone could relate to. He used the imagery of agriculture and farming or debt or fishing, their livelihood wine and vineyards, those things that permeated their culture. He used this imagery. And y'all, um, many of you know the Bible Project is such a great tool as we dig into the Word, and, and it is a resource that I just recommend to all of you. Um, there's a five-minute video on um, the Bible Project that is how to read the parables. It is simple, and it's part of their larger series of how to read the Bible, but how to read the parables. I have dropped that little nugget for you on the Sunday page under the teaching resources. If you are there, want to check back with that later. Um, the Bible Project does such a great job of just helping us to understand how Jesus is speaking 
into this space. And we're going to actually dig into our first parable today, and they, they actually refer to it. It's the parable of the sower, or maybe you know it as the parable of the soil, but they refer to it as actually a meta-parable, because it is, it is a parable about the parables. It is actually about how we hear and perceive what those parables are communicating, communicating the coming of the kingdom. So let's dig into the first one together. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start out with verses 1 through 9, but here's the part where I said we might be here a while. We're actually going to Jesus speaks to today. crowds and to people in the me. form We're of parables. Um, you can pull it up on your phone. It'll be up on the screen for you if you'd like to read along. It says, That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. He was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, they, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. But can you imagine it? Being in the crowd that day, Jesus is about to speak to us. He's going to tell us maybe what to do or how to live. Maybe this time he'll explain how the overthrow of Rome is going to go down. He's going to share that battle plan with us in this place. I mean, he's a revolutionary, right? But instead, he tells this story about a farmer sowing seed. And there's, I mean, this parable is so familiar, right? Van Gogh actually even has a painting of the sower. And so this image that kind of locks in our mind, right, of the sower in the field, it's not probably the image that the people who lined up on the shore that day were expecting to get. They Instead, hear this story about a sower, a farmer, sowing seed. And then there's these four different types of soil. Okay, if you're a first century Jewish hearer of this parable, you probably have some context. You probably have seen a sower in the field before casting seed out. But you might be asking yourself, what in the world does this have to do with restoring the nation of Israel to its rightful place. What is this? And so similarly, today, we can do just what I mentioned earlier and in super imposing kind of our own ideas, presupposing that we know what this means. Maybe we've heard it before or it's been taught a certain way to us that immediately we want to put ourselves in the middle of that story. A common way that this parable is, is taught or read is either about 
who's in and who's out, right? Those who have themselves received the seed and gotten the good soil, you're going to heaven. Well, for the rest of us, the story goes a little different if we don't. Or maybe we can make it about ourselves as the sower and our own experience of evangelism, our own experience of trying to tell people about Jesus. Don't get me wrong. We should definitely be about the business of sowing seeds of the good news of Jesus. But when we read this parable in either of these ways, we're missing the bigger picture of what Jesus is wanting to communicate. Right? In these frames, it puts us almost in a place of judging the soil of someone else's field. It's way easier, right, to look at somebody else's field and be like, oh, that's some hard soil over there. <laughs> but maybe we need to start in a different place. Start with asking, who is the sower? Any thoughts? Who's the sower? Jesus. And what do you make of the seed? What is the seed? Mm. Yeah. Let's get a little more specific. His word, maybe his word about the coming kingdom. Right? It's, we can even read it with just this idea that it is, like that that's just all of the word, that's all of scripture, which is pointing to Jesus coming and announcing the kingdom. But specifically the seed being sown Right, is the message Jesus has about this kingdom coming, this different upside-down kingdom. What do you make of the four types of soil? Yeah, that's the people. That's right. That is the people. You guys have ears to hear. You're hanging with me. I love this. Everyone in the crowd would have been processing and trying to, trying to make sense of it, too. Right, that they're gathered on this shoreline trying to put together the pieces of this puzzle. Even the disciples who've been following for a little while, who have seen miracles, who have been sent out to do miracles, to show this coming kingdom, even the disciples are like, why is he talking like this? What is this about? At my house, when I have questions about Scripture, and even when I'm, I'm like, preparing to, to teach, uh, I go to my resident theologians in my house. Um, many of you know my daughters, Riley and Avery, uh, at 12 and 11. Um, they, they are the resident theologians in my house and often are able to help me understand what the kingdom is like. What is, what is Jesus doing? So I asked them this week, think Jesus taught in parables? Why do you think he talked like this? And Riley said, I think Jesus wanted people to think about it. She said, they needed to ponder it a little bit. And even for a while, right, as they ponder it, to use their imagination. Even that they would come back to it and think about it later. Y'all, that's all Riley Simmons right there. That's um, teaching me the ways of the kingdom. 
But Jesus, right, speaking in this different way, and the disciples are asking that same question, if only Riley had been there to tell them. But they actually go to ask Jesus. So our next portion of this, this passage, chapter 13 of Matthew, verses 10 through 17. The dis- disciples came to him, and I don't know if they like swam out to the boat, if they waited till Jesus came back, maybe they were already in the boat with him, not sure. But they came to him and asked this question, why do you speak to people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, my disciples, not to them, the crowds. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this, people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you, blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Y'all, that can sound a little confusing. But we also have to understand that if we read this passage If we take one piece or one line of this out of context, we can end up with some really whacked out theology, okay? Like this is, we need to take this together as a whole. That whacked out theology that might be a little akin to the prosperity gospel, right? That this might be talking about some physical um, wealth or health that is coming to those who, who hear or those who have the good soil. But this is squarely within the context of Jesus bringing the message about the kingdom, a different kind of kingdom that has now arrived and bringing about change. The good news that heaven was coming to earth, that the broken world might start looking a little more or a whole lot more like the perfectly created garden in the beginning. Remember way back in Eden in the beginning, the perfect relationship between the created order and its creator. Jesus' message is the kingdom has now arrived and it's unfolding here, which is quite different from an idea where we receive Jesus so that someday we escape to some far off heavenly place. Instead, Jesus has flipped that upside down, where heaven comes down to earth. And for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, we don't just have a front row seat to this unfolding. We are on the front lines, believing that the world can be a better place here and now because heaven has entered in. 
that the good news is not just personal to me, to you, but it is also social. It is impacting the community around us as well, revealing the restoration and redemption of creation for all eternity. But really, so the eyes to see and the ears to hear have nothing to do with the physicalities of these seeing and hearing instruments. Right? It's a claim about the state of the heart. And that's why we're going to start the message each week in this series to pray. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Open the ears of our hearts, Lord. We want to see you. We want to hear you. Reveal to us the coming of your kingdom. You know, the words from the prophet Isaiah that Jesus quotes here in this passage, they were written in advance of the people of Israel being taken captive by the Babylonian Empire. That the people of Israel would be conquered by the Babylonian Empire. And prophet after prophet came to the people of Israel warning them of the coming destruction because they had turned their hearts away from God. But y'all, it was a time of economic prosperity in Israel. They buried their heads in the sand. They didn't want to hear what these messengers of God had to say. They were refusing to listen to the prophets, and they went on about their busy way of lives, not to be bothered. It's about a state of the heart. Are we open to change? Are we open to seeing the situation we are in differently? Can we see the world or the possible outcomes through the lens of God's kingdom and its coming? Or do we just keep on keeping on with the status quo? You know, as we stand just a day ahead of this day set aside to remember and to celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. I can't help but think about his vision for a better world. For his eyes to see, his ears to hear that the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven looks like a world of racial equality. And what better capturing of this than his I have a dream speech? One of the ways that I like to remember and to celebrate, especially this time of year, Dr. King's legacy, is to take the time to listen or to read his sermons. That you may already know this, but if you don't, in addition to being a brilliant, spirit-filled civil rights leader, he was also a pastor. He, was, he came alongside his father at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. He was ordained at the age of 19 in 1948. And so he served there as an assistant pastor to his father for the next 20 years until his tragic assassination. You know, many of his sermons are available um, on YouTube. You can hear them. Um, and many of the manuscripts are available through the King Institute at Stanford University. His sermons often unveil a deep scriptural basis for his dedication to civil rights and racial equality. 
So this year, one of the sermons that has really stood out to me is one that's titled, But If Not. But If Not. It's a message that he preached from the book of Daniel, chapter 3. And I commend it to you. Actually, I have linked that for you. If you're up for two sermons this week, um, then I um, have dropped that link to the YouTube uh, audio there um, under the teaching resources on the Sunday page. So check that out uh, sometime this week if you want. But see, after the prophecy of Isaiah and the other prophets that had been speaking to the people of Israel about the destruction coming, After all of that unfolded and they were carried off to this foreign land of Babylon, the king of Babylon at that time was King Nebuchadnezzar. And he built a massive golden statue to be worshipped by everyone in the empire. In fact, he issued a decree that you either worship it or you end up in this fiery furnace. And so some of you, like this is already... um, popping up the familiar flags for you, that if you've been around the church for a while or you happen to grow up watching Veggie Tales, then um, you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny, uh, otherwise known as Abednego. These three Israelites, these guys, right, they knew that they should not and they would not bow to anyone but the God of Israel, the Lord of all creation. And they were so convinced of this that they said in Daniel chapter 3, 16 to 18, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, but if not, Be it known to you, king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship your golden statue that you have set up. Some of you know the end of that story already, but just to be sure, the three faithful Israelite men, they were thrown into the fire. And as Dr. King says, they were met in what turned out to be an air-conditioned living room. The soldiers with them looked in and saw another in the fire with them, a fourth, who set them free, brought them to safety out of the fire. And so Dr. King goes on to celebrate the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He also challenges those who are carrying a faith that is conditional. He compares the, what he calls the if faith to those, those who conditionally put their trust in God, right? To those who have a though faith. Like the three who would not bow, even if their punishment was death. The if faith says, God, if you do this for me, then I will do this. I will praise you. If you deliver me from this, then I will do this. If you prosper me, I'll believe And y'all, Dr. King is not judging those who are new to faith. He is not judging those who are new and figuring out what it means to trust God. He's challenging those who continue to live by this if 
kind of faith. Instead of being rooted in the good soil to say, but if not, I will still believe. I will still do what is right. And that's where this sermon of Dr. King met the parable of the sower for me. In a rare display, Jesus goes on to explain the parable to his disciples. And y'all, that doesn't happen a lot for us in Scripture. I wish it did. I wish that we got that behind-the-scenes look of Jesus telling the disciples, this is what the parable meant. Instead, we're often left ourselves to ponder it and to use our imaginations. And so the first three types of soil here, or the first three states of the heart, this is the space of the if faith that Dr. King describes. Jesus says in Matthew 13, verses 18 to 23, going on through the end here. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling along the rocky ground, it refers to someone who hears the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns, it refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now, as Jesus describes each of these four types of soil, he's inviting the disciples and those who have ears to do an evaluation of their hearts. It's not just those with the good soil who will hear and understand the parables, but it is those who have the ears to hear that their soil might need some work. That there might be change needed in their lives to align with this coming kingdom. So is the soil hard? Is it packed and dry? such that the kingdom can't even break the surface. Maybe you've had a bad church experience in the past or a traumatic relationship or experience that have just packed the dirt so hard that nothing can even break the surface. Such that the birds are going to carry those seeds off. Maybe the answers of those if questions just have never been answered. Maybe you're just unwilling to consider a change. Is the state of your heart feeling rocky at best? Where the seed is sprouting quick and it even comes in spurt after spurt, but then after a time it withers or it fades. 
Maybe this week's sermon didn't do it for you. Or maybe your small group hasn't been able to meet for a few weeks. Maybe you haven't caught that next spiritual high. Or that next if that you threw out there didn't quite get met like the last one. Are you feeling like your soil is just too full of thorns and weeds for anything else to grow? The seeds of the kingdom get choked out by the overwhelming pursuit of what the kingdoms of this world have to offer. Too much hurry. Too much Netflix. Too much social media. Debt. Substance abuse. Addiction. Yo, this list could go for miles. Mm. But the things that are not inherently bad Right? They're things that when placed in that priority position or in that distracting position, that if I can get one more thing or do one more thing, then I'll get there. They choke out what God wants to do in our hearts. You know, in the good soil, that's the only place we see a crop grow, which means there's fruit there's fruit for a harvest, and more seeds can take root, and there's not just reproducing, but there's multiplying. Though a trial or adversity stands before you, still, the return on this harvest is more than you can imagine. Bringing it all home, quite literally, to my home, nearly three years ago, y'all, I got a sizable load of fresh soil. It was in the spring, really to boost the capacity of our little garden at home. I had the two best gardeners in our neighborhood, hard at work, moving all of this soil, wheelbarrow load by wheelbarrow load, to the back to fill our raised garden beds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Y'all, we put the soil in the beds and in our patio boxes, and it was dark, rich soil. It was from a local nursery, and we planted our seeds for peas, cucumbers, squash, tomatoes, zucchini, cucumbers. Oh, the cucumbers are the best. And the peppers, we were right on time with planting, too. I mean, it was like clockwork. After several weeks of watering and caring for the plants, you know, they were sizable and they began to flower and flower again and no fruit. Nothing. You know, the peas, the peas would have their simple, soft flower that is just beautiful. And as pea growing there, the flower would just fall off. The tomatoes, they'd get tons of buds and those little yellow flowers that you're like, oh, here, look, here come the tomatoes. No tomatoes. <laughs> hmm. Big yellow flowers on the squash. No squash. Not a single piece of fruit until finally a couple of cucumbers appear. The faithful cucumbers. And we could eat it, except it was bitter. And so after a couple of weeks of seeing this trend, we decided to send off a soil sample. 
to get the folks at the North Carolina State Cooperative Extension to help us out, do a little soil test. Another couple weeks of waiting, we learned we had bad soil. Y'all, the tests came back to say there were traces of herbicide in the soil. All of this new, fresh, amazing-looking soil. And so it kept the plants from producing fruit. The plants would grow, but they would not reproduce. They would not multiply. So here's the deal. Soil testing before you plant. Soil testing before you plant. Highly recommended. So soil testing is where we are today. Soil testing as we get started in exploring the parables and this upside-down kingdom, what it is like. So let's slow down enough in these next few moments and even over the next few days to ask God, how is the soil of my heart? Am I open to what you want to bring in my life and the world around me? You know, no matter the answer to that, whether you're right where you need to be with the good soil ready for more seeds, or if you find yourself with a hard soil, a rocky soil, a thorn and weed-filled soil, know this. You know, we are not condemned or confined to the state of our soil today. From this vantage point in my life where I am right now, I can look back and I can see all of these types of soil in my life. There have been different seasons where that soil was so stinking hard. It was going to take a tiller or a tractor and a plow to break through. Even the hardest and most fallow places, they can be broken up. They can be fertilized for the expanding fields of God's kingdom to come. So we just need to start with a soil test. And fortunately, we have one right here, a soil testing kit I happen to bring with me today. Right, that this is a means of grace. And what that means is it's an avenue for God to work and to reveal the areas of need, the areas of soil that need attention in us. So as you come to the Lord's table today, I just want to invite you, as we break this bread, friends, we ask the Lord to break our soil up, that it be even more prepared for the seed to take root. So as we take this bread and this cup, we ask the Lord, how's the soil of my heart? I'm going to invite our servers to come on down. They're already ahead of me. Look at that. Ready to go. You know, we're going to come down this side aisle and Miss Vicky is ready with the lightsaber to, um, <laughs> yeah, 
and she'll release you to come, come across um, the front and receive the bread and the juice. She'll tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. You know, there's a gluten-free option, not just gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free, like all the things free. Um, bread is available for you if you need that. So just tell them when you come over, okay? <laughs> but y'all, let's pray together as we come to the table. Oh Lord, pour out your spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and the cup. May they be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. As his body was broken and his blood poured out for our forgiveness and redemption. We remember the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the grave is the power to break the hard-packed ground of our hearts. The same power to remove the rocks and the gravel that prevent the roots of faith to settle deep and to pull back the thorns and the weeds that choke out the growing plants of life. The same power to make our hearts a fertile soil ready to receive the seeds of your kingdom that a bountiful hop crop may grow in us. Meet us at this table, Lord. Your body and your blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come to the table.